This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast sometimes where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. So I have a friend, and he has a waterbed. And I have gone over to his house several times and enjoyed this waterbed. And yet, mo- very recently, it became much bouncier, and I was very impressed. Is that the end of the joke? He added a lot of spring water to it. No. There's a lot of things I don't like about that joke. I guess for me, it begins with the idea that you have a friend who has a waterbed <laughs> and you spend a lot of time on this friend's bed. Like I have yeah. really, really close friends whose houses I've been to hundreds of times without ever spending the night in their bed because of course I don't. <laughs> But you don't. But like, when you have a friend with a waterbed, you gotta go on the bed, right? I the other yeah. So the other issue I have with the joke is that no one has had a waterbed <laughs> in at least three centuries. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that waterbeds were a thing once. Do you believe oh, this? That they were they a were thing? a huge deal when we were children in Orlando, Florida. I mean, Orlando, Florida in 1986 was the waterbed capital of the world. I bet that's not wrong. I bet like, I bet if you looked at a graph, I would not be surprised if that was the case. I had several friends whose parents had waterbeds. I was oh, on yeah, a lot of waterbeds. I remember Casey's parents had, had a waterbed <laughs> and I was like, man, these people have it figured out. Oh my God. And like, was it good? It must not have been good or we'd still no, do it, right? It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Also, how do you disinfect it? Do you, like, have to put chlorine in there? Because, like, you can't just have a bunch of water sitting there for months and years. Was it cheaper? What was good about waterbeds? Why did that happen? And why did it stop? Someone make a YouTube video for me. 
Oh, I'm sure there's an explainer on the history of waterbeds. Hold on, <laughs> let me search for it real quick. God, I'm so tired, by the way. Waterbeds explained. There is, of course, a waterbed oh, explainer on YouTube called Waterbeds Used to Be a $2 Billion a Year Industry. What Happened? Oh, I mean, it's a great title, too. I, at this point, <laughs> it's almost like the artificial intelligences, in addition to deciding what we watch, make the videos themselves. <laughs> they, they know exactly what's going to get the clicks. All right, Hank, uh, let's answer some questions from our listeners, including this question from Sadie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I have a serious problem. Well, that's the only kind of problem we're here to solve, Sadie. I usually only have one day off a week, and when I can, I love to sleep in. Who doesn't? But now that I'm old, 31, Sadie. (laughs) You're at the very beginning of being even something that might be a little bit old. When I sleep in, I wake up with a backache. (laughs) How do I combat this? Please don't recommend a Casper mattress. Don't worry, I won't, Sadie. That said, Sadie, I'm not going to recommend a Casper mattress. I'm going to recommend a waterbed. Yeah, I'm I'm at least going to recommend a Business Insider video about why (laughs) waterbeds don't exist anymore. Um, No, they're coming back, according to Business Insider. Oh, gosh. I'm sure the, the rise and fall and rise again. John... No second acts in American lives, except when it comes to waterbeds. Tylenol is the only answer I have for this question. No, it is 100% happening because of your mattress, Sadie. This is a bed problem. mm, I used to have a backache when I would take a nap, and I used to have a backache when I would wake up from a long sleep, and then I got a better mattress. And now that I have a good mattress, I don't get backaches anymore, period. I I wake up stiff and... I wake up I wake up stiff every time. And here's the other thing is that like sleeping in, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. I've given up on sleeping in. I don't do it anymore. I have to go to the bathroom anyway, and so I get up and then I'm up. And like, what am I gonna be doing in that bed anyway? Sleeping more than eight hours is like I don't need it. I don't need it. I used to sleep like nine and a half hours and now I can't. I just feel bad afterward. Like physically worse than if I slept less. There's also a great big story. YouTube video called The Groovy Origins of the Waterbed and a CBS Sunday Morning video called The History of Waterbeds. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm starting to feel like I don't need to make a video about waterbeds is where I'm at right now with the the news about how many waterbed videos there are. Is there room for another one? I got to make a video tomorrow and it might be about waterbeds. Just watch all the other Waterbed videos, compile what you learned into a shorter, more efficient video. <laughs> that's our that's the new Vlogbrothers brand. Look, you've seen a lot of explainer videos, but they're not treating your time with care. That's what yeah. we do. This video is 30 freaking seconds long because Waterbeds are not complicated. <laughs> this next question comes from Ryan. We assume, who asks, Dear Hank and John, 10 minutes before playing organ at an Anglican church wedding, the jokester groomsman offered me double my pay. If only I would replace the bridal march with Darth Vader's Imperial March. My wife thinks that I did the right thing by not doing that. My nine-year-old disagrees. The bride and her mother seem to be taking everything very seriously. What a shock! (laughs) What was the right thing to do? Not the droid you're looking for, Ryan. 
Oh, I'm so surprised that the bride was taking your wedding day seriously. Ryan, what is your, what do you do for, you, you perform organ. You need to take this responsibility with, with care. Yeah. No, don't play the Imperial March. Sorry if I peaked a little bit there. Whew. Well, also, we're not talking about the groom or no. the bride. No. We're talking about some jackass friend of the groom. <laughs> Probably, like, the guy who just squeezed into the wedding party, you know? <laughs> to barely, yeah. Like, exactly you're, you're getting married that guy. And, and your girlfriend's like, I have nine bridesmaids. And you're like, oh, boy. Guess I'm gonna have to bring old Jack. Yeah, you did. You made the right call, and the fact that you're not sure you made the right call is the only reason we're answering the question. Because yeah. now I'm afraid there are other there are other people out there who have been offered money to play the Imperial March when the bride walks down the aisle. And By the way, that's an awesome thing to do if it's the bride and groom's idea. Yeah, totally. If you want that, yes. Oh, but weddings man. are no, about. The people getting married, and yeah. to a lesser extent, those people's parents. Those are the only. <laughs> those are the only folks who should have any say in what happens at the wedding. Uh, the correct response to this, the thing that you should have done that you did incorrectly, is that you did not slap that groomsman on his face. Mm. I mean, I don't believe in physical violence, but I think you should have said to the groomsman, "Whatever else you have planned for today, don't re-examine." Yeah. Because I bet that there was some hijinks at the reception. <laughs> oh. Here are some explainer videos to watch instead of doing whatever that <laughs> is. How to not make someone else's wedding about you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Pranking your bud on his wedding day. A bad idea, question mark? Yes, period. Well, you can't put that in the video, Hank, or nobody's going to watch it. <laughs> Just answer the questions. All right, Hank, we have a question from Phoebe who writes, Dear John and Hank, this is another question of like pretty obvious etiquette, but I'm worried <laughs> that the world is falling apart and it suddenly needs us to be like Emily Post. <laughs> Recently, I was out by the river with my parents and boyfriend. That's a fantastic first sentence, Phoebe. I'm, I'm all in on your question. We found a table to sit at by an outdoor bar, but when we went over, we saw that there was one clear plastic cup of beer sitting in the middle of the table with no one in sight to claim it. My boyfriend asked the people at the table next to us if they knew if the beer belonged to anyone, and they said it had been there as long as they'd been sitting there and no mm -hmm. one had come for it. Mm -hmm. I put the beer to the side. We claimed the table and sat there chatting for about an hour. My parents left, and then my boyfriend proceeded to drink the beer. Oh, wow. He says that beer shouldn't be wasted. I am more hesitant. Yeah. <laughs> Good. That's great, Phoebe. What is the proper thing to do with abandoned table beer? Your help would be appreciated in convincing him not to get himself poisoned. Frisbees and freebies, Phoebe. Here's the thing, Phoebe. And Hank, I think you're going to back me up on this. Mm -hmm. I've just done some rough back-of-the-napkin calculations, and this beer had been sitting where it was sitting for at least three hours. Uh-huh. So it was warm. It was flat. Yeah, that's my, like, honestly, that's my main concern. It's not that, like, it's not that, like, I'm worried about the danger of the beer. It's just, like, an extremely unpleasant beer experience. Like, the the reason to have a beer experience yeah. is to enjoy it. 
Yeah. And how could you like how could you possibly enjoy this warm flat beer experience? I can I can only drink beer when it's between 33 and 34 degrees in temperature. Right. Yeah, like I can I can hardly finish a single beer because it gets right. too warm by the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's never been an issue for me, but I I notice that it happens to my <laughs> wife sometimes. And she'll be like, "Do you want the rest of this beer?" And I'm like, "No, you've been drinking it for 45 you took minutes. Too like, long. <laughs> a beer has to be, be begun and finished within like a four minute period, unless you're inside a refrigerator while drinking it. That's it's what beers are for. I, like, I'm I am all about not wasting food, and I think it's important. I think that we often don't realize how much food gets wasted and how much resources go into the creation of food. We I don't think that we prize food enough, and beer is food. Yeah, uh, there's calories there. It's certainly made out of food, and uh, so I think that like you know ordering the amount of something that you want is ideal. And obviously, this person had some kind of situation occur i don't know what kind of catastrophe resulted in leaving an entire beer undrunk but it happened and that's unfortunate but like i don't know if i was in college i'd do this no, i wouldn't but i would grown never up now. no because you don't you don't even know who the person was who drank the first quarter of the beer you know what i was like in college john you know what i was like Let's just keep doing etiquette questions because apparently that's where we need to be. Um, and it's the etiquette spectacular. Uh, so this one is from Emily. Dear John and Hank. Wait, Hank and John, I mean. What happened? When you are staying overnight at someone else's house and they invite you to use their shower. Yeah. It's <laughs> a weird I way mean, to say that. that well, yeah, weird. <laughs> Uh, first of all, don't invite someone to use a shower. You can say it's fine if you want to take a shower. I guess that's what you mean. Are you allowed to use their shampoo, conditioner, soap? April showers bring guilt? Emily. I have no idea, but I do. Uh, you can definitely use their shampoo. Yeah. I've always been a little bit on the fence about whether or not you can use their soap. Yeah. It is like this is the same thing that's touching your body that's going to touch yeah. their body in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on your relationship with the person. Mm -hmm. Like, like when I shower at Chris and Marina's house, I use their soap. <laughs> they listen to the pod. So they might be like, hold on. What? <laughs> okay. I'm actually kind of surprised to find that you shower at Chris and Marina's house. No, I mean, just sometimes. Listen, I, at least I'm not like hanging out on their waterbed. <laughs> I like to take my friend's beds for test drives, John. Is that, that is, so weird? I mean, it's, it's profoundly weird. How are you going to find what bed you like if you don't try a bunch of them out? I feel like if you're asking the question, then you probably don't want to soap up too much. Yeah. And the thing is, here's here's a tip. Shampoo and conditioner are also basically just soap. I don't know what the difference between all of these things is. There's a bunch of different chemicals that you put on your body. And for as far as I can tell, shampoo is just liquid soap and you could use it on, on the rest of your body. And that way you're not going to be touching your butt with butt touches of other bu people's butts. Love it. Great answer. This next question comes from Moaz, who writes, <laughs> Thanks, Dear John, John and Hank, my name is Moaz. I'm a Syrian refugee who lives in Germany. I live in a town called Bochum, and I study in a town called Duisburg. 
By the way, you'll note my excellent German pronunciation. <laughs> because it's Europe, I commute every day for up to two hours on trains. It's mostly loud and there are lots of stops, so reading isn't a good option for me because it's hard to focus. I use my time to listen to podcasts and browse through social media and maybe some music, but I can't stop the feeling that I'm wasting my time. So what's the best way to spend this time every day? Best wishes, Boaz. Uh, well, first of all, Dear Hanging John is never a waste of time. We're all, we're all on the same page here. Uh, mm, I can't. I, I'm not sure I can get behind that at all. Dear Anga John is an excellent way to waste time. Yes, that that I'd like. I'd like to think that we're an okay way to waste time. I also think if you have two hours a day, good podcasts are actually a pretty good way to spend that time because mm-hmm. you can be learning, you can feel less alone, etc. But I would spend at least a little bit of that time, like, talking to someone, like a human being. Oh, how do you talk to people on a train? That seems like very un-John Green advice. No, 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 not like talking to strangers. That's, that's, that would, that would be crazy. I, I, I mean, like, <laughs> oh, I texting with a friend. Oh, okay. Writing a nice email. You can, like... Writing a nice email. Yeah. Taking the time to say thank you to someone you wanted to say thank you to. Like, using your phone for that, for mm. engagement with people you care about. Especially, like, sometimes it can be hard to reach out to people you haven't reached out to in a while. But then, like, once you start, it gets easier. So I would recommend doing a little bit of that with your with your phone time, with your train time. I think that's a great that's a great idea, John. It never it never would have occurred to me. Um, my thought was you should listen to podcasts. They can be educational if you want, and also if you want to write something at you know if you've got a lot of commuting and you have an opportunity, if you want to sort of like write down a little bit of what you learned from the podcast you were listening to or something that you liked about it, that will give you an opportunity to, instead of just sort of like being a receptacle for information, create some output that will also give you a chance to do some synthesis of what you learned, which will make it stick better in your brain. I find when I listen to like history podcasts that I enjoy it a great deal in the moment. And then afterward, I'm like, I have no idea what history just happened to my brain. Right. It does definitely help to take notes, no matter what you're studying or learning about, whether it's YouTube or podcasts or whatever, I find it super helpful to take notes. And I think that one of the reasons I know that this podcast is not a good use of people's time is that I never hear from people who are like, oh, the notes I wrote while listening to Dear Hank and John were just revelatory. <laughs> I, I realized like several important things. I want a waterbed. I shouldn't drink three hour old beer that is just sitting there and I don't know where it came from. All right, Hank, let's turn to a much less serious question from Dean, who writes, Dear John and Hank, as my favorite show is coming to a close soon, I feel a void in my soul cracking and consuming my thoughts. This story and the characters have given me comfort no one else could and were the only things stable in my life. Well, it can't be Game of Thrones because there was nothing stable about those eight seasons. How do I heal and move on after five years of being a loyal fan? I also can't be Game of Thrones because it was only five years. Hank, did you watch uh, the Game of Thrones, the big battle? No spoilers, by the way. This will contain no spoilers. But did you watch the episode that was like an hour and 26 minute long battle? I did. I did. In fact, the reason why we started the podcast late is because I was uploading my video of my fan theory about what actually happened to that battle. Um, Well, that sounds like it's going to be a wonderful Hank's channel video, and I'm very excited for it. Uh, 
I have no idea what happened in that battle because it was filmed entirely in the dark. <laughs> I <laughs> I turned off all of the lights in my house and my 142-inch television that beams things to me in such high definition that even my eyes cannot uh, distinguish between the pixels showed basically a black screen for an hour and 26 minutes. And everyone on the internet was like, oh, this is just because you don't have your TV you know, set correctly. And no, I've watched other programs. <laughs> like I, <laughs> It does seem like they spent a lot of money to not get all that many different colors. Um, I, not that like the number of colors in a show is, is how you decide whether something is good or not. I watch, I watch game of Thrones on my phone because let's be honest with ourselves. I don't have the, space in my life to do it to watch this show anywhere except in my bed so it actually looked pretty good with in my bed with the with the brightness turned all the way up i could see everything that was happening it is really hard when you've loved something for a long time and it feels like a big part of your life and then it suddenly goes away there's often also a lot of community around it there's a lot of thinking about it it takes up a lot of brain space i can certainly say that game of thrones has taken up a lot of brain space for me in the last few weeks really and uh yeah i think about it all the time <laughs> I have found this to be overwhelmingly the least interesting season of Game of Thrones. Uh, well, I am not at all happy about this last episode, which is why I did a whole video about what I think about it. Oh, I think it's fine. I mean, uh, it's just reminded me that, like, it's hard to make the last season of a TV show really good, especially when most of what the TV show has done is built up expectations. Yeah. Like, it's so much easier to build up expectations than it is to deliver. Yep. Yeah, that's and that's that very very is true. Why I don't try to write books with plots because <laughs> then people get mad at you for not delivering. But what if you, there's no built up expectation? Then they don't get mad. That's perfect. You've done it. You fit. You've cracked the code, John. And here I am writing a book and being terribly afraid that I'm not going to live up to expectations. But I think I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it. Well, I, I, if I can give you a piece of advice, it would be don't go uh, harshing on Game of Thrones. Because then people will just turn that right back on you. <laughs> Remember when you said this thing about the thing that happened in that thing? This is just you like the thing that, that you did. You thought storytelling. Read the sequel to an absolutely remarkable thing. Whoosh. That's okay. Some people are going to love it. <laughs> uh, Hank, what do you do when something you love is ending? Well, first of all, it's always going to be there. And I do love going back and revisiting the things that I love. Um, so, you know, I... I'm a huge fan of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm never going to stop watching TNG episodes. Whenever I need something really comfortable, I hit that. Ultimately, yeah. like, Jane Austen hasn't written a book in a long time, but there's still a lot of fan community around that, and there's still a lot of joy in watching adaptations, reading the books, listening to audiobooks, radio dramas. There's just a lot to still do inside of that world, and I think that that, you know, is definitely something that I felt when Harry Potter was ending um, and the fact that there were still movies. Yeah, that's part of it, but really also that, that like those things still exist as they are. And is now sort of this complete set that can be enjoyed and sort of examined and appreciated as a, a finished product 
does have a little bit of joy to it that like this is what this is now and it's never going to be more than this so i can understand it fully yeah it reminds me of the harry potter alliance t-shirt we are book eight right i think there is a grieving process it's important to go through that process there are real losses in this and when people try to minimize it i don't think it does anybody a service but i also think that we are book eight and the legacy of that continues as long as people are paying attention to it and as long as the people who have paid attention to it are making work that's inspired by it or in some way informed by it. Yeah. That's why I love the podcast Harry Potter and the Sacred Text so much because it found a new way to engage with what I thought was a story I fully knew, you know? Yeah. And that happened many years after the release of the last book. And there's lots of examples of shows that sort of come back over time, like they are appreciated in their time and then they like have resurgences when they, you know, when they come on streaming platforms or when they have new ways of getting access to them. So I think that like that content will always be there. And now we get to appreciate it in a different way. This next question comes from Lauren, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do some carrots, even ones from the same bag of baby carrots, taste earthier than others carrots and catastrophes lauren they're individual carrots it's not <laughs> yeah. like they're being manufactured by, <laughs> like a gushers factory they're being made by mother earth what can you expect yeah that's exactly right like they they grow in slightly different soil a lot of times like the baby carrots that end up uh in a bag of baby carrots didn't necessarily grow next to each other yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> probably. They could have come from all over the place. Who knows how baby carrots work? Every time you get a bag of baby carrots, it's got like carrots from six different continents in it. That's why. That's it's exactly it. There's no Antarctica carrots, but everything else is represented. The, so an, a, as a more scientific answer to this question, are you at all interested, John? Can I just jump in, Hank, real quick and say that there are no Antarctica carrots yet? <laughs> I'm curious to see. Give it a couple thousand years, and it's going to be the only place we can grow carrots. Warm it on up. Um, So it's interesting because there are things that, like, taste the same. Apples, for example, all taste the same. And, uh, well, no, sorry. All, like, varieties of an apple. So you get, like, a Honeycrisp apple. It tastes like a Honeycrisp apple. But apples are clones. So, like, every Honeycrisp apple tree in the world is a clone of the first and only like one true Honeycrisp apple tree that grew one time. Carrots uh, yes. pollinate and seed and they plant from seed. And so every carrot is planted from a different seed. And so every carrot is going to taste a little bit different. That's right. The other thing that I would note is that carrot taste is highly dependent upon weather and temperature, mm. especially like carrots that grow up in less hot times are sweeter and better. Well, look at you knowing things about carrot growth. I mean, I just planted at least 500 carrots, so. (laughs) That's great, I'm so excited for By the way, if you need a bag of baby carrots in a couple months, give me a call. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by John's Garden Carrots. John's Garden Carrots, they're, I mean, I probably should have planted them a week earlier. This podcast is also brought to you by the Imperial Bridal March, only acceptable when requested by the bride. And today's podcast is brought to you by Waterbed Explainer Videos. Waterbed Explainer Videos, it is an entire genre on YouTube. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Beer Experience. 
it sounds very much like something that a marketing person at a beer company came up with. But indeed, it is that. It's the sponsor. Hey! We also have a Project for Awesome message from Margie to myself, Hank, Kevin, and Christian. Thank you for being. This simple motto is used in our home in place of prayer at meals and when we want each other to know that they are appreciated. So I want my family and you both to know that I appreciate you. So This episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and house Household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Again, thank you for being. Well, thank you for being, Margie. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Harper, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I have an issue that makes me somewhat frustrated. There's an Earth Day, but no Mars or Saturn or Neptune Day. Why not? (laughs) This reminds me of a different question that we get a lot that's in a similar vein. But this one is less offensive. (laughs) Of course, we have a Sunday once every week, so I can't really complain about that. Oh, because that's the day for the sun. Mm -hmm. But I want other planet days. Why don't we have them? I play the piano and the baritone, but not the harp. Harper. Oh, wow. I will. So you've made a great point, Harper, that like we celebrate Earth Day once a year. We celebrate the sun once a week. That's like 50 something times a year. Well, to be fair, the sun is far more important than the Earth. Uh, about that? I feel like equal mm. importance. I feel like we'd be equally in trouble without either. I love the sun's chances without Earth. <laughs> I do not love Earth's chances without the sun. Hey, I like it depends on what you're defining as Earth. We could get, honestly, if we were a rogue planet, we'd probably last longer if we didn't have the sun. Oh, that's weird to think. That's mind-blowing. Is that true? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. What's a rogue planet? A planet with no solar system? A planet that has been ejected from a solar system, yeah. What? How... So if if I were to be ejected along with the rest of Earth from the solar mm-hmm. system, how would I be doing vis-a-vis staying alive? Not well. 
that's that's kind of what I assumed, <laughs> but I I wanted to phrase it as delicately yeah. as possible. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't want young people out there to worry. <laughs> Every time we talk about an apocalyptic concern, and one of my kids is listening to the podcast, they're like, "Wait, what? <laughs> Solar winds." <laughs> Wait, what? We could get it. We uh, Henry, Alice, we cannot get ejected from the solar system anymore. It was a it, it was a point in Earth's history where it was a greater possibility. At the moment, no chance. All right, there you go. We're good. My kids are also very worried about flooding, even though we live on like the second highest point in the entire city of Indianapolis. Of course, the highest point in Indianapolis uh, is in Crown Hill Cemetery, and it is the gravestone of one of the like 17 vice presidents who never became president buried in Crown Hill Cemetery. Yeah. Just a, thanks, just in case thanks you were, for the trivia, John. I look forward to visiting. Make some notes, Moaz. You just learned something. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Get some actual facts from Moaz. I'm so sorry. It feels like you're but wasting by the way, your time. It's not a fact at all. There are definitely not 17 vice presidents, but there are more vice presidents who never became president buried in Crown Hill Cemetery than in any other location on Earth. What was the question? Uh, Neptune Day, John. Why is there no oh. Neptune Day? Look, we don't care about Neptune. It's just it's the situation. If let me ask you a follow-up question: If Neptune were ejected from the solar system, would that have a negative impact on us? Uh, I mean, if there was enough uh, dynamism in the solar system for any planet to be ejected, it would be bad. Just it would right, but just hypothetically, if Neptune stopped existing tomorrow, that wouldn't be a big issue for us. If Neptune just vanished, yeah. I think we'd be okay. Yeah, I don't think it'd be a big issue for us. If it, like, zoomed out of the solar system, that would be an issue for us because it would probably send some comets our way. Yeah, but I'm imagining uh, the answer is that we would be fine without Neptune, and that's why we don't have a Neptune day. <laughs> we would not be fine without Earth. And if anything, we need way more Earth days. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, the, the reason we have Earth Day, by the way, is because this is a really beautiful place to live. It's very nice and we don't want to mess it up. And we are. Yeah, we are really deeply dependent <laughs> upon Earth. <laughs> Do you? Uh, so Oren knows some planets now. He's learning the planets one day at a time because as expected in this house. And uh, here's why there's no Neptune Day, Harper. Oren naming the planets goes like this. Murky. And then he says Venus really well. Yeah. And then he says Earth. Yeah. And then sometimes he says us, which is nice. I like that. And then he says Mars. Yep. Good. And then he says Jupiter. Correct. And then he says Saturn. Yep. Ish. And then he says this one and this one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is basically how we all feel, right? Like those gas giants out there, like what? They're just blue. They look similar to each other. I don't think about Neptune. Yeah, it's basically this one and this one. Come to think of it, I don't even think we need those two planets. I'm going to, we got rid of Pluto. I would argue that's just the (laughs) first step. Forget about bringing <laughs> Pluto for... back into the solar system. How do we get rid of Neptune and Uranus? I, I'm worried that John is. You might be under the impression that we got rid of Pluto, like we just made it stop existing. Yeah, yeah. We were oh, like, okay. it's, this is officially inconvenient. Pluto, <laughs> you are in the past. You know, we we we've winked you out of existence. Yeah. 
All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to read you this question from Emma, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was just listening to episode 37 of your podcast, and you answered a question about why humans don't eat grass. I'm pretty sure that the Gavin who asked this question is my friend Gavin, because my friend Gavin is obsessed with genetically modifying all humans so that we can eat grass. This is obviously a bad idea for a few reasons. Number one, genetically modifying all humans in that way would be really hard and expensive. Number two, it's more efficient to just use our current agricultural foods. Number three, nobody wants to eat grass and only grass except for Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Just because I hear hear what you're saying. Just because it's good for cows doesn't mean it's good for humans, Gavin. What do I do? Are we just delivering a message for Emma? This should be a project for awesome message. Uh, No, no, this is good. Let me let me get the rest of the question. I think it's funny. Okay. I love that she says Gavin. What do I do if my Gavin is the one who sent this question to you guys? This has been going on for at least three years. Should I continue trying to subtly tell him that this is a bad idea? Should I just let it go and let him talk about this idea until he realizes himself that it's a bad idea? Should I just rip off the Band-Aid and tell him that it's a bad idea directly? Would he even listen if I ripped off the Band-Aid? How can I stop myself from going insane as Gavin talks for long periods of time about his grass ideas? (laughs) Emma. Emma. Oh, my God. Emma. How have you not already had this conversation with Gavin? Gavin. Emma. You are in love with each other. (laughs) So there's two things happening here. It's the only solution. One is that you are in love with each other, and that's an uncomfortable thing to have just realized while I was talking to you on the podcast, but it's true. Yeah, you should just tell him that you uh, think that it's, it's great if he wants to genetically modify himself to eat grass, but that... That doesn't mean it should happen to all 7 billion of us. Well, uh, let me just provide some uh, some perspective from Gavin's point of view here, John, sure. which I think is important because yeah. we're only hearing one side of the story here. Yeah. If you could genetically modify humans to be able to digest grass, yeah. you could also di- like genetically modify humans to like enjoy eating grass. <laughs> so just do that. Uh, okay. In fact, maybe like let's genetically modify humans in a bunch of different ways to be like nice to each other, enjoy eating grass, recycle, that kind of thing. Yeah. Stop emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Just like genetically modify humans to really enjoy trains and not like cars. What would you do if you could genetically modify humans to be one thing that they're not? For me, it would be that I would genetically modify them to all be AFC Wimbledon fans so that we could win the Champions League. <laughs> so if everyone was an AFC Wimbledon fan, like we would win every yeah. competition every year. Right, right. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, uh, that's pretty selfish, but, you know, to each their own. Okay, Hank, we have to get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon because, I mean, I, oh God, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't... Well, uh, here's what I'm going to make you say is that you're going to send an update to Nick before he uploads on Monday yeah. because but, so that he can edit the podcast because we're not going to have the podcast come out without the news. Right. So here's the, real the situation news. as we're recording this. AFC Wimbledon beat Wickham Wanderers on April 27th in a thrilling, some would say vomit-inducing uh, <laughs> victory. It was two to one. Joe Pickett scored both goals. He also he also missed a penalty. Uh, if he hadn't missed that penalty, I wouldn't have felt like throwing up for an hour and a half, but he did. 
Uh, and so he didn't miss it. I feel like there's a there's a difference between missing a penalty yes. and you miss the goal yes. and getting it saved. It was saved, it but was it, saved. Was, it was a very poor penalty. And listen, I'm not here to criticize Joe Piggott. The only reason that we are in the situation that we're in, <laughs> alongside a 21 year old goalkeeper on loan from Bournemouth, Aaron Ramsdale, who one day I am convinced will be <laughs> yeah. the greatest goalkeeper in the world because he's only 21 and he's already basically the greatest goalkeeper I've ever seen. I mean, Wimbledon showed incredible, incredible team effort to get that 2-1 victory over Wickham, who had a lot to play for and really wanted to win. Um, After the miraculous 2-2 draw against Luton Town, getting that victory means that for the first time in 189 days, for the first time since October, with one game left in the season, AFC Wimbledon are out of the relegation zone and experiencing the dizzying heights that that are 19th place. I mean, yeah, so I I was... I had the like live score update on my phone. I'm like at the park with Oren, completely ignoring him. <laughs> it's bad. Like yeah. you have put me in a situation where I care about a very stressful thing. Yeah, I mean, it has been a very it, 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 this has been uncommonly stressful, and it isn't over. So, in the last game of the season, Wimbledon play Bradford City, and. If Wimbledon tie or win, they almost certainly will stay up. If they lose, uh, it could be really, really bad, especially after all they've fought for this season. And here is where I will come in on my phone with news for you. Greetings from 25 seconds after the game ended. Oh my God, Wimbledon have secured another season in the third tier of English football with the most thrilling, terrifying draw I have ever seen. It looked for a while, I mean, there was no chance we were going to score a goal. That game could have lasted six years and we wouldn't have scored a goal. It, oh, oh I, yeah, so um, it looked for m- much of the second half like... Wimbledon wouldn't actually need to tie because Southend uh, weren't winning, uh, but then Southend scored in like the last minute, which meant that Wimbledon did uh, did need the tie uh, in the end, uh, but it is the tie that they got. 50 points uh, send Wimbledon into, uh, gosh, another year of third-tier English football by goal difference, uh, Plymouth Argyle, the team that we actually beat at, at Wembley to go into the third tier, are relegated on goal difference despite winning uh, 3-2, uh, and AFC Wimbledon are safe. Every point we got this season was a point that in the end we needed to survive. Unbelievable. Ah, wow. I, I, uh, I'm just, to- I, I, I'm shaking. You can probably hear in my voice. I, uh, I, just, I can't believe that we stayed up. I can't, I, I cannot believe the effort that this team put in in the last three months to secure this moment, including that stunning last second goal against Luton Town, league leading Luton Town, that gave us that point, which turned out to be the point that we needed to survive. Oh, wow. Okay, back to the pod. 
Thanks for editing this in at the last second, Nick. Thank you for all your well wishes, all your emails. Thanks for all your love for AFC Wimbledon. We're still a third-tier English football team. Up the dons. Oh, God, I really hope that future me had good news because current me is super worried. But Wimbledon Ah, have a chance, Hank, they have a chance to stay in League One in what would be one of the greatest, great escapes in the history of football. I mean, at one point, Hank, Wimbledon weren't just in last place. They were so far in last place that if they'd won twice as many games as they had actually won, they still would have been in last place. (laughs) That's... Oh, God. Just talking about it makes me extremely nervous. Oh, it, I know. Ugh. I know. And I feel really bad for whoever does end up going down. Uh, okay. What's the news from Mars? Well, first of all, I'm looking at this uh, science uh, news from Mars on at the Atlantic, and I'm being advertised to with lots of pictures of letter openers <laughs> because... <laughs> I, <laughs> And this this company would like me to buy more letter openers. John, by the way, we did sell out of letter openers. That's pretty remarkable. So well done. Thanks to everybody who gave uh, in exchange, gave money in exchange for letter openers so that we can give that money to to, uh, Partners in Health. Uh, The very first Mars quake has been detected on the surface of Mars uh, by the Mars InSight lander. And my main takeaway is that Marsquake doesn't sound as cool as I thought it was going to. Not the noise of the Marsquake, which JPL did convert the the vibration to a noise, which you can listen to on YouTube. But just the word Marsquake, yeah. I thought that was going to sound cool when it came out of my mouth. But instead, it sounds kind of dopey, like a 1990s video game. I like uh, it. That has a really bad soundtrack. I like and the I, word Marsquake. And by the way, I listened to the Marsquake and it, oh. it was very powerful. Like it, it was a oh, weird, it's, it, it, it's weird to hear something from another planet or to hear a version of something from another planet. I also am surprised that there aren't more Marsquakes because I thought they happened like all the time. What do you mean? I thought they happened like every day. Uh, Mars is not super so like Earth is has is tectonically active and I it's one of the only tectonically active bodies in the solar system it's the only planet mm. that is tectonically active mm. um, where it has it has these plates like these like lighter rock that sits on top of heavier rock um, and Mars doesn't have that it's locked in place uh, which is why it has such a gigantic volcano because like the like the hot spot at Hawaii because the plate moves around the the hot spot moves and so you get a chain of islands mm-hmm. whereas on Mars the hot spot has stayed in the same place for billions of years and just keeps building up that one volcano uh, but the uh, but but it does have earthquakes and Mars uh, so sorry yes correct and the first one that we measured it was about a 2.5 on the Richter scale we need um, mm. more Mars quakes and we need particularly uh, bigger ones because that will allow us to discover things about the interior of Mars. One of the ways that we know as much as we do about Earth is by measuring how the vibrations from earthquakes travel around the planet. You can de- determine a lot of different things from that, both in terms of like what the crust is made of, but even what the mantle is made of. Uh, and so there's like sort of this opportunity to send like this giant shockwave through a planet and measure you know how it bounces around inside of the planet 
which is what the seismometer is there to do. The a 2.5 magnitude quake isn't really enough to get good uh, data about what the interior of Mars looks like, but we expect many more Mars quakes in the future, and uh, we expect bigger ones as well. So looking forward to future Mars quakes and also all of the data they, that they will provide us. It is nice that you can look forward to a Mars quake in a way that we just don't look forward to earthquakes. <laughs> Also, we want the biggest possible Mars quake. Yeah. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no question about it. Right. We don't have to worry. We want the yeah, big one right away. Feel about earthquakes. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to underscore something, Hank, which is that you earlier said that that volcano is really big, and I want to just give people a sense of how big it is. It mm. is like seventy thousand feet high. It's like three <laughs> Mount Everests. Yeah, or, it's really big. Or two. I'm it's not so very good big at math. that if. If you were on the surface of it, you it would look like it was flat. Right. Like Mars curves more than the volcano does. Yeah, it's the size of Arizona. It's a biggie. You know that Mars has the largest impact crater in the solar system as well? Uh, you can't spot it when you're looking at the planet. You can you know about this if you listen to our podcast, SciShow Tangents. Uh, it's the entire northern hemisphere. Wow. That is mind-blowing. It's a dangerous universe out there, but don't worry, kids. We're going to be fine. And by fine, I mean that we will be the architects of our own doom. Is this how we end the podcast? I think so. Thanks for potting with me, John. And thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to send us questions, you can do that at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We really appreciate everybody who sends in questions. Uh, there's so many good ones, and we have such a great time answering them. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Halls-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.